If you don't have peace with your maker, something is missing. Something is always going to be wrong. Nothing will ever be quite right as long as there is a gap between you and your maker. In the book of Romans chapter 5 verse 10 it says for if when we while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. So Jesus was the peace child he was a sacrifice given by the father that reconciled God and man. Because of the sin of Adam and Eve that was passed on from generation to generation right down to mine and yours. The human race was enemies with God and at a distance. But God brought us together and he made peace between us through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. He's the peace child. And so today, the first thing I want to tell you is the most important thing that I'll tell you today. And that is this. If you don't have peace in your heart with God, anything else you reach for and try to achieve in life is going to fall short. The first thing you've got to do is come to peace with Him. We do that through salvation. By merely giving our hearts and lives to the Lord, repenting of our sins, and asking Him to come in as our Lord and Savior, we become righteous in Him. Now, the word righteous is a great big religious word, but it's an important one that all of us need in our vocabulary. And righteousness just means to be in right relationship with God. It means that you're correct with Him. It means that even though things happen and we sometimes sin and we often make mistakes and we have various failures through life, we know that we still have a right relationship with God. And whatever comes up from without or happens within, we know that we are right with God and that's what happens at salvation. And so the first thing is give your heart and life to God. And then thereafter, whatever comes along, if you have that link with God, everything is all right. On an emergency call, I went to the medical center uh, last week in the late afternoon and evening. And I met an old friend and uh, saint of God there. And uh, his life was hanging in jeopardy. We were waiting for test results to see what was going on and what was happening. And... Um, and, and he woke up to talk to me just a little bit and, and me to give him a few words of faith and encouragement and pray over him. And he said, you know, Pastor, I want you to know everything's all right between me and God. He said, I know I'm good. I thought, man, how great that is. You're laid there all hooked up, hoses and needles and wires and monitors and tests going on and things happening in your body. We don't even know what it is even to this day. You can lay there in that situation and say, Pastor, I'm okay with the Lord. I know I'm good with that. And I tell you, that's the place that we all want to be. When things happen out of our control, we can lay there and say, well, I don't know what in the world's going on right now. I don't know if I'm going to live to another day. But I know one thing. I'm right with God. Everything is going to be all right in that department. And that's the first step to peace. How many of you are glad you're there right now? So it's the foundation of peace, knowing that we're right with God, trusting in Him for our future. The second thing is, to be at peace, you've got to be at peace with your past. And Jesus is all about you and I making peace with our past. Peace with our past. 
Our past involves several things. First, it, invol it involves our sin. It involves our sin. When we come to God and get saved, we have to deal with sin. Now, it's true that if you want to be saved, you have to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you have to allow Him to come into your heart as being the Lord or the pilot of, of your life. But it's more than just believing on Him. You have to repent of your sin. From what I read in the Scripture, I believe it's impossible to get saved until first you have addressed your sin. It concerned me early in the campaign for presidency that President-elect Donald Trump talked about himself being a Christian, but when asked whether or not he had repented of his sins, his answer was, well, I, I, just, I just didn't go there with God. Well, from what I read in the Scripture, that's a serious problem. Now, that could have changed since then. He's got a lot of people around him that's helping him in that department. That could have changed. But I thought, you know, if, if you didn't address sin at the point you became a Christian, you're probably not yet saved. And when I read the account of President Obama's conversion experience that he wrote in one of his earlier books, he had an encounter with God in a church that changed his life and that convinced him that to be a Christian. And I, I don't question the validity of any of the, either of these men's experience. But in their testimonies, they never addressed the fact that I was a sinner and that I got saved because I needed a Savior to save me from my sin and help me deal with my past. Now, both of those men since that time could have done lots of repenting. You know what I'm saying? I'm just, I'm just using these notable characters, their own words left out the fact that when you, when you get saved, you get saved from sin. And you can't get saved until you acknowledge, I am a sinner and I need a Savior. And that's what Jesus is. He is first and foremost a Savior. And what does He save us from? Our own sin. And so if you want to have peace in your heart, you have to address sin in your life. You have to say, Father, I'm a sinner and I need your help. I need your forgiveness. I need you to deliver me from my sin. I am a sinner. And this is the essence of salvation and maybe the church has not done a great job in, in, in preaching the message of repentance. We've spoken the message of God's love. We've spoken the message of believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But we leave out the vital element of repenting of sin. Because you, you can believe on the Lord Jesus Christ forever. And you certainly must. But you're not going to have peace in your heart until you face the fact that we are all sinners. And we need a Savior. So the way we deal with sin is we go to God and we ask Him to forgive us of our sin and be the Lord of our lives. And so the way we deal with our past, first of all, is we confront our sin. After we confront our sin, we have to confront failures and mistakes we've made. Um, over a period of your life, at least it's been true for me, you accumulate failures and mistakes. You accumulate failures and mistakes. And when you live long enough and you have made enough mistakes along the way and you've had enough failure along the way, then they can become baggage and weight to you. And so we have to take those to the Lord and say, Father, help me and help me to have peace with my past. Sins I've committed, mistakes I've made, and failures in my life. 
The other thing we have to deal with is we have to deal with what others have done to us. We're not always the guilty party. Oftentimes, we are the victim. And as a victim, we can be injured in such a way that those incidences and those seasons of our life carry into our future. And we have to go to God and say, God, I need to make peace with my past. The part of my past where I was a victim and someone violated me in some personal kind of a way. Things others have put upon me. We go to God and we give them to him and he allows us to be cleansed and healed from those injuries and gives us the grace to forgive those people in our lives and be at peace with our past. We have to be at peace with our regrets. Not necessarily sin, not necessarily failures, or not necessarily mistakes we've made, but just regrets. You know, I remember asking myself the question at about 30, you know, do you have any really big regrets? And, you know, I had a, maybe one or two, you know, big regrets, you know, big regrets, you know, just, ah, yeah, maybe. At 40, I asked myself again, and I started had a little list going about 40. And 50, I had about a page full of regrets. Because, you know, at somewhere along the line, you start seeing through wiser eyes and decisions you made years ago, you start seeing the end of those decisions. Somewhere around 40 and 50, you start realizing some of those decisions you thought were pretty smart in your 20s didn't turn out to be that smart. And some of those things you did in the 30s, you wish you had could go back and do them again. And so the longer you live, you end up with a list of regrets. So right now you're thinking about You're making that little list in your mind, right? Well, I don't know if your list is longer than mine, but I do know that we have to give our regrets to the Lord. Now, some of you lost some precious family members this year and uh, someone you love and care for. And when someone dies, if they were close to you, you often have to deal with regrets. I know when my father died over 20 years ago, He was with me on Sunday morning, died on Monday. We didn't know he was sick, and suddenly he was there, and then he was gone. And and so then I I had this whole plethora of regrets. I wish I'd have done this. I wish I hadn't have done that. Man, if I had it over again, I'd have done it like this. And at some point, I just had to take all those regrets as a son and give it to God and say, God, I can't change one thing about yesterday. I cannot fix one thing of my past, and I just want to give you my regrets, and I want to lay them at the cross, and I'm going to leave them there. And I just had to walk away from those regrets. So I've got a list of regrets, and if you ask me, I can think about it and remember them. But it's not a list in the forefront of my mind. I don't live with a lot of regrets and go over and over them. And those regrets that keep flashing up before me, I'm constantly trying to cast them down. And if I have a reflection on yesterday, I'm hoping to gain insight that will help me in the future. I don't want my regrets to become weights that keep me from being all I can be and doing God's will in my life. So whatever regrets you may have, be sure that you leave them at the cross and you come to peace with yourself. Can I get a great big amen? Amen. Now, Dealing with sin and failures and mistakes and then regrets of one kind or the other. You have to reset your conscience. So I want to take just a few minutes and talk to you about resetting your conscience. Your conscience is a a very vital part of your, your being. 
It is that inward aptitude for distinguishing right and wrong. It's that inward voice that tells you you did good, you did bad, you did right, you did wrong, you did the righteous thing or the sinful thing, uh, you, you missed the mark at some degree. Your conscience is what alerts you. It's like a, a, a buzzer going off. It's an, it's an alarm. And God made us that way. Thank God for it. It convicts us. Now the word convict is an important word in your Bible. There was a woman caught in the very act of adultery. They gave the man a buy and they drugged the woman to Jesus. I never figured that part of the story out. And uh, they said, Jesus, what do you think we ought to do with her? The law says stoner. And Jesus said, well, <clears throat> the, the one of you that has not committed sin, you be the first to pick up a stone and begin stoning her. The Bible says that from the youngest to the oldest, they were convicted in their hearts. And they began to disappear until Jesus was left alone with the woman. Their heart convicted them. And so it's the conscience is the mechanism God put in us to convict us and to say to us, you're over the line right now. You're in the red zone. You know better than this. This is not who you are. Get out of this thing. Fix it now. Don't go any further. It's that voice that plagues you and keeps you up at night and disturbs you and makes you edgy. Thank God he put a, a conscience in every man. Now, the New Testament, the New Covenant gave provisions that were not in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. One of them was that the New Covenant, through Jesus the peace child, gives us help in the realm of our conscience. In the Old Testament, Paul taught that people could have their sins covered by the sacrifice of an animal. But when Jesus came and sacrificed his life, he brought with it the opportunity to have your conscience purged. And so in the Old Testament, if you sinned, there was the weight of sin and guilt and shame and regret that was forever on you. But in the New Covenant, because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, gave his life, his blood purges and cleanses our conscience so that our conscience isn't constantly beating us after we have repented of a certain sin. This is important. It convicts us. Now, notice the word convict versus another word in your Bible, condemned. The Bible teaches the Holy Spirit will not condemn us. It will convict us, but not condemn us. Conviction makes me realize I'm wrong and gives me the, the, the desire to do what is right. On the other hand, condemnation makes me feel like a loser and makes me want to give up. And the Holy Spirit doesn't make you feel like a loser and want to give up when he convicts you of your sin. He makes you ashamed to, to, in such a way that you are renewed in a desire to please God, renewed in a desire to do better. So the Holy Spirit is not condemnation, but it is conviction. And the mechanism God uses to convict us is our conscience. You see, the conscience works with the Holy Spirit. We see a word about that in Romans 9 and 1. Paul said, I tell you the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit. 
So he said, my conscience is bearing me witness. In other words, I have a clear conscience. I've checked this out every way I can, and I'm confident by the, my conscience and by the Holy Spirit that I'm telling you the truth and I'm doing the right thing. So the Holy Spirit is, is, uses the conscience as a tool, as a mechanism. So the Holy Spirit can speak through and with my conscience. And my desire is for my, for, the, for my conscience and the Holy Spirit to be in agreement. For my conscience to be saying the same thing the Holy Spirit is saying. And so that way when I get it right and when I'm doing right, I not only have a, a, consci- a peace in my conscience, but I have the, the, the amen of the Holy Spirit. I have the assurance from the Holy Spirit. So the way I want to live is a clean conscience and the Holy Spirit both witnessing that I'm doing the right thing. So the Holy Spirit speaks to us through our conscience. Well, the devil can use our conscience too. He can use your conscience to beat you up, to beat you down, and to make you give up and quit. We want to make sure that the Holy Spirit is speaking to our conscience and not the enemy. And maybe today I can help you to distinguish some of that. You see, a conscience must be programmed by the Holy Spirit and God's Word, the Bible. Um, When you grow up, you're raised in a culture. That's like the water a fish is swimming in. The fish is part of the water, and the water is part of the fish. So when you and I are raised in a a specific culture, and we all were, we're part of the water and the water's part of us. We're part of the culture and the culture's a part of us. And it's just, we're just, it's just all one. And so your culture helps to formulate what's right or wrong, good or bad, acceptable or unacceptable. And so in the course of your life and mine, as the culture has changed, our concepts of right and wrong has changed. If you go from one culture to another culture, One culture is acceptant of some attitudes. One culture is acceptant of certain behaviors. You go into another cultural environment, and it's not acceptable. As children of God, we have to live above our culture. And the culture cannot dictate what's right and wrong in my life. For your children and mine that are growing up in this world... We can't allow the internet and television programs and what they hear in public schools, we cannot allow that to formulate and shape their conscience because the conscience is their umpire as to what's right or wrong for them. But parents have to so instill the truth of God's Word in their children so that their conscience will be alive to God's Word and dead to what the world might say is right or wrong. And much of what, as a teacher of God's Word, I'm doing is helping people to program their conscience with the right and the wrong, the good and the bad from God's Word and override your cultural influence. I want a conscience that is in agreement with the Holy Spirit. I want a conscience where God has written His law on my heart. Remember, I told you how there was upgrades from the old covenant to the new covenant. There was upgrades. Old covenant was good, but not near as good as the new covenant through Jesus Christ. Paul makes that clear. And one of the other upgrades we've got is God said in this new covenant, when Jesus comes along, he said, I'm going to write my word on your heart. 
Every man is going to have an internal witness of what is right and wrong. I'm going to be speaking to them in their hearts, and I'm going to write my word on their heart. Now, what that means is, number one, there's an internal alarm system. There's an internal code of conduct. There's an internal knowing of what is right and wrong that the Holy Spirit gives you. It means that God is going to write it on our hearts, not our brains, but our hearts. That's the seed of our emotions. That's a seed of who we are, what we value, what we cherish, what we really believe. And God said, I'm going to affect your value system. I'm going to affect your belief system. It's the, the old covenant was good, but not real good. The old covenant was a rigid set of laws, do's and don'ts. And if you do this, this is the punishment. If you don't do that, this is the penalty. But, but the new covenant was God said, I'm going to put some want to in you. I'm going to put some desire for righteousness in you. It's not going to be the law telling you what to do and threatening you if you violate it, but it's going to be me in your heart making you want to do the right thing. I'm going to write my law in your heart, and your conscience is going to be there to say, yes, you're doing the right thing, or no, you're over the line. It won't be up to the priest to be the police force, the pastors to punish and correct and discipline. Because the Holy Spirit's going to be inside of you. And in one case, in this subject, the Bible says in the New Testament, you don't need anyone to teach you because you have the Holy Spirit in you. And the Spirit will teach you what's right and what's wrong. He, of course, wasn't eliminating the need for study and learning and pastors and elders to teach the Word of God. He was just saying, your great reliance is on the Spirit of the living God that lives inside of you and that will speak to you in the deepest part of your being and help you to know what is right and what is wrong, what to do and what not to do. And so he writes it on the inside of our heart. So the conscience serves like a filter. It's a great illustration because we all have filters in our life. Filters on our air conditions, filters on our water faucet, filters in our cars, filters on our computers. We all have filters. And what they do is of the inflow, the income, it filters out unwanted particles, unwanted information. Things we don't want in, we run it through a filter. And if it, if it gets in, it must be okay. And if it doesn't get in, it's not acceptable. So your conscience is much like a filter. It filters what's coming in and it filters what's going out. And some things that stick in the conscience, the filter of the conscience, are unacceptable things. Things we don't want coming in or things we don't want going out. And so after a while, whatever filter it is tends to get clogged. My automobile, I have to go down on a regular basis and get the oil changed and the filter because it's filtered so much stuff in and out, it ceases to be effective. And I have a, a water filter that filters the water that comes into our home. And on a regular basis, I go out there and I have to change the element and clean it out because it's filtered so much stuff, it's no longer working anymore. So I clean it out, put a new filter in, and we're good to go. And that's the way your conscience is. When so much things are going on that, that are clogging the filter, the filter stops to work. And it's no longer functioning properly. It's no longer filtering out the things that need to be filtered out. Because it's, it, it's, it's clogged. We just keep doing it and doing it and doing it and allowing and allowing and allowing it. And pretty soon the filter no longer works. We have to learn how to clear the filter. Reset, recycle our conscience. And get back to where we need to be. I want to talk to you about that.
You see, consciences, our conscience is a very delicate thing. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a complicated piece of equipment. It's like so many things in our life, usually digital. They're amazing, but they're complex. They're complex. They're complicated. They're, there's a lot of detail involved. That's the way my conscience is. It's, it's a detail thing. You know, it can be there to sound the alarm when I do the least thing wrong. But if I keep doing the least thing wrong, first of all, I, I do more wrong, and it gets bigger. And after a while, the alarm doesn't go off. The conscience doesn't bother me. Because you keep doing it and the filter kind of gets clogged and just, it's not filtering anything out anymore. You have to learn how to reset it. The Bible talks about the conscience. It talks about it being uh, suppressed. It talks about it being seared as with a hot iron. In other words, uh, in ancient days, before we had all the wonderful medical assistance of today, if you were deeply wounded or cut, and you were bleeding, the bleeding had to stop, the wound had to be healed, they would take a hot instrument and they would cauterize the, uh, the wound and it would probably save your life. You'd end up with an ugly scar, it was a very painful experience, but it might save your life. And so Paul said that our conscience was the same way, it can be seared. Uh, it, it, it's ugly, it doesn't function correctly, it doesn't feel properly, it doesn't tell you the right things, it doesn't warn you about the wrong things, it, it, it's been seared and it no longer functions correctly. And that's what happens when we ignore it or we argue with it or we justify it or we find other reasons to continue on. It just, it sears the conscience. Our conscience becomes defiled. Instead of being a filter that helps us sort out the right and wrong in our life, it ceases to work. It's not functioning anymore. That's the nature of sin. What we condone today, we'll accept peacefully tomorrow. So people can just get into wrong things and stay there, never be convicted by it. Um, I read the story of a pirate named Gibbs back in the 18th century that uh, flew with a black flag and tortured and raped and stole and uh, plundered for many years. Finally, he was apprehended and caught. Before his death, he acknowledged that he had, when he had committed the first murder and plundered the first ship, compunctions were severe. Conscience was on the rack and made a hell within his bosom. But after he had sailed for years under the black flag, his conscience became so hardened and blunted that he could rob a vessel, murder all of its crew, and then lie down and sleep as sweetly at, at night as an infant in the cradle. His remorse diminished as his crime increased. Uh, this conscience God has given me is wonderful, but it's a delicate piece of equipment. It's complicated. And so you start out doing little things, and you keep doing them, and they get bigger, and the conscience no longer alerts you. Because you've reprogrammed it. You've told it it's okay. And so it quits saying anything about it. And the pirate, the first time he murdered, the first time he raped and plundered, he couldn't sleep. He was miserable. He felt horrible about himself. But after a while, he said he could lay down and sleep all night like there wasn't nothing to it. What an illustration that is of every one of us when it comes to doing the right and the wrong things in life. We need to preserve our conscience, respect our conscience, and hold on to it. Now, 
I talked to you about how to purge your conscience. Like a filter needs to be purged, needs to be recycled. You know, when things happen in your life, you've got to know how to purge your conscience and recycle. Hebrews 9, 14. How much more shall the blood of Jesus Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serving the living God? Notice these words. Purge your conscience. The blood of Jesus, his death, purges conscience. So think about a filter that's been just collecting all this unacceptable particles. And it just gets all filled and it stops working. You come to the Father and you say, Father, my filter's all clogged up because I've been doing things and saying things and thinking things that just, it's not right. And I need you to purge my conscience. You know, some filters you can clean and clean out and start working again. That's my conscience. You can purge your conscience. You go to the Lord and ask Him to forgive you, and He'll purge your conscience. It'll be clean again. You get a new fresh start in life. And that's what purging the conscience is. It's a fresh new start. It's a new commitment. And we have to be able to go to God and ask Him to purge and cleanse our conscience. Now, first it starts with repentance, but it doesn't stop there. The fact is, you have to silence your conscience. Because the nature of a conscience is that, okay, you recognize you were wrong and you are regretful and remorseful and you're repentant of it. The blood of Jesus cancels that sin and you get a fresh new start in life. But your conscience can hammer you, remind you, plague you, make you feel guilty more and more, make you feel more and more ashamed. Make you feel like a loser. You're not what you're supposed to be. You're never going to be what you're supposed to be. You're just a big fake. And your conscience starts bombarding you. And at this point, it's no longer an agent of the Holy Spirit. It's a tool of Satan. And so you have to learn how to silence your conscience with God's Word. There's a difference in justifying your sin and therefore silencing your conscience. Then when you repent of your sin, you go to God and you receive His forgiveness, but your conscience is still blaring guilt and shame. You've got to go and say, conscience, my filter's been purged. My conscience has been purged by the blood of Jesus, and that sin is forgiven. And you cannot keep beating on me. You have to stop and be silent. Now, the next time I do it, wake up. Hammer me all you want. But that time is under the blood, and you can't keep going back there. That's how you talk to your conscience. And you make sure your conscience is programmed by God's Word. You make sure that your conscience lies up with what God said. Because your, con- your conscience is like your computer. You can put any program you want on it, do anything you want to do on it. And you can program your conscience according to God's Word, or, or you can program it according to the culture. Program it according to God's word. And part of that programming is that when I've repented of a sin and I've given it to God and I've settled it with him, my conscience has to be silent and cannot keep bombarding me. You've got to get it cleansed. You've got to silence it with God's word. This is the kind of conscience I want to have. I believe you do as well. Um, in Hebrews 10, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. True heart full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled, that sprinkled with blood, from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So I I want my conscience to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus. That's my forgiveness. 
That's my deliverance from sin, the power to do what is right. That's the, 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 the shedding of guilt and shame and all that. And suddenly come to peace with God in your inner man, especially in the realm of your conscience. A clear conscience is a life that honors God. A clear conscience is a life of peace. You know, you can't have peace within if your conscience is bombarding you. And you can't have peace within if your conscience has been defiled and seared to the fact that it's no longer working. The only way I can have peace with God is have a healthy conscience that is working correctly and is in line with God's Word. And when I have a healthy conscience, then I have peace with God. And so the apostle teaches us over and over again that we are to strive to live with a good conscience toward God and man. This is, the, this is what we're reaching for. This is the bullseye. I want to live with a good conscience toward God and man. And the apostle said in Hebrews that because of that we'd have a true heart with full assurance of faith. I want to have a true heart and the full assurance you see, when your conscience is not afflicting you, you have courage, you have faith, you operate with confidence, you operate with assurance, and you're doing the right thing. But when your conscience is bombarding you, it interferes with life. God help us to live a life with a good conscience. In 1 Peter 3.16, he said, keep your conscience clear. Keep your conscience clear. That's what I want. Can you say Amen. Okay, take three deep breaths. I'm fixing to move on to something else. You're going to be all right, I promise you. When you get this quiet, you're either asleep or you're thinking really hard. I'm afraid some of you are going to fall out, and I won't know whether you fell out because you're asleep or you fell out because you forgot to breathe. It's okay. Just breathe. Three good breaths. Let them out slow. Okay, that was peace with your past. How many of you got something out of that today? All right. I'm going to move on. Peace with your past. Peace with your conscience. you got to have peace with your package. I'm using peas today. Isn't that cool? Package. What is your package? Package. That's the sum total of who I am. That's the sum total of who you are. It's your package. It's not like one thing. It's your whole package. It's your physical stature. It's your age. It's your gender. It's your personality, it's your gift mix, it's your education, it's, it's the skills you develop in life, it's your, it's your status of, of, of life and income and all those things. It's your, it's your package. You know, I just believe that you and I have to come to peace with our package. It doesn't mean that we're not striving for more, reaching for better. It doesn't mean that we're not trying to improve our package. It just means that God put certain unique traits and characteristics in my package. And he also created certain limitations. That means none of us can do everything. Some are better than others at certain things. And some things I'm not very good at at all. It's part of my package. Some of the limitations that God put in my life. He put those limitations there not because he hated me, but because he loved me. And because he wanted me to do something in life. And he put everything in me I would need to do his will for him. He didn't put everything in me I'd like to have. If I had everything I'd like to have, I've had three or four Super Bowl rings. You know, I'd be a, I'd be a musician like Ben. I'd be a, a vocalist like Renee. I'd be doing a lot of things. But I can't do anything I want to do. 
He made me a certain way. He gave me a package. This is my package. I don't like everything about it, but I'm trying to make it better. I'm happy with my package. And I can tell you, you're never going to have peace in your life if you don't have peace with your package. You're as tall as you are, or as short as you are, you're as smart as you are, or as it, it, you're, that's it. Come to peace with your package. And anything you can prove, make better, live to the fullest. Do everything you can and be the best you can be. But be at peace with your package. Don't look at someone else and be jealous or envious or mad because they have something you don't have or can do something you can't do. Just be at peace with your package. When you're not at peace with your package, you're going to make big mistakes in life and you might ruin your life. If you want to have peace within, you've got to come to peace with your package. And the way you do that, and I'm going to summarize it and move on, is you accept that God birthed you for a person he uniquely created you for a destiny. He has something for you in your life. And I came to peace with my package because I realized this was God's design so I could do His will in my life. And He gave me everything I need. So again, your peace with your package comes back to He's my maker. He's my creator. He designed me with something wonderful in mind. And my job is to find out what He wants me to do in my lifetime for Him. And everything I needed, He put in me before I was born. That's how we find peace with our package. We also have to find peace with our presence. See, I'm working on those P's again. Peace with our present. <clears throat> Life is lived on different levels and in seasons. And that means that we all have unique seasons of life that we're in. Seasons of life. And... Um, some seasons are better than others. How many of you got that part figured out? I mean, some seasons you go through that are just great, and other seasons are like stink. But it's a season. If it's the best day of your life, enjoy it, honey. It ain't going to last. <laughs> Sorry. If it's the worst day of your life, look up, honey. It ain't going to last either. Because this season is coming. It's going to pass, and there's another one behind it. And whatever season you're in, live it to the fullest. Enjoy it. Get what you can out of it. Do God's will in your life and realize that it's only for a time. Some aspects of life are a long season and some aspects of life are just a short season. You got to know when it's a short season. You could be really sick, but thank God it's just a short season. Then you could have a sickness or some kind of issue that could be a long season. You could have a happy moment like the day you were married or the time your children was born when the happiness factor was just off the charts. It's just a short season. So, hey, you got a new baby? Enjoy it. You, you got a new marriage? Enjoy it. You're on your honeymoon? Live it up, bub. It's a season. It's a good season. It's a gift from God, but it doesn't last forever. You got a new job? Just open your new business. You're excited. Enjoy it. It's a season. There, there's, there's nothing coming behind it. So I want to encourage you to be, to be at peace with your present, the season you're in right now and then I'm going to talk to you about being at peace with your future the whole idea of coming to salvation is saying Father I give you my past good, bad and indifferent I ask you to cleanse me and wash me and forgive me of my sin and I want you to be the Lord of my life and I want you to take charge of all my tomorrows 
and I'm going to do your will to the best of my ability for the rest of my life. I'm yours. That's what salvation is. I'm yours. I'm going to follow you and do my best to do your will. And I'm going to walk with you. You've got to come to peace with your future. Sometimes you can look out a certain window of life and your future looks dark. Other times you can look through another window and the future looks bright. But whether your future looks especially bright or especially dark right now, you got to trust your future to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's my Lord and Savior. Promised to love me and guide me and help me. Make my life significant. Make my life worth living. And I'm just trusting my future to Him. If you don't trust every day of your future to God, you're not really saved. I don't, I don't want to question anybody's salvation. I mean, I'm not trying to question your salvation. I'm just saying that the, the essence of salvation is giving Him your future. Not just giving him past and saying, Lord, forgive me, but it's giving him your future. The Bible says these important things. He said Jesus was both Lord and Savior. Savior refers to my sin, mostly behind me. Lord refers to my future, giving him my, all my tomorrows. He's Lord and Savior. Not one or the other, both. He's Lord and Savior. And so coming to peace is coming to peace with my future. I give you my future, Lord. Whatever you want to do with me, around me, wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, whatever it looks like, I just give you my future and I trust you with it. You're my Lord and my Savior. My future belongs to you. And I believe these are some of the key elements of having peace within. You can close your Bibles now. ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes it affords everyone around you a moment of privacy and by doing so thank you for that this month I'm talking about peace and today I'm talking about peace within the prince of peace is here today as sure as I'm standing on this platform and you're sitting in that pew and someone's watching on their computer right now the prince of peace is here he wants to give you peace. Starts with salvation, giving your heart and life to the Lord. Starts with dealing with your past, presenting his future to you. You can live at peace. I don't know how deeply this has touched you, but I certainly feel a nearness of God this morning. I just feel like my words have been his words. My message today as humbly as I consider it has been a message to you from the Lord I want to ask you to respond to the nearness of God that is closed in on us in these moments of the service Spirit is appealing today to those of you that's never really given your heart to the Lord and decided to be a follower of Jesus Christ. He's calling you personally, individually, talking to you in your heart. Listen and respond. Others that know Him but choices they've made have created distance from a relational basis with Him. He's reaching out. His hand is extended. His love and forgiveness is available here today. Take advantage of it. 
jump in. For those that are dealing with various issues that have disturbed the peace in their heart, this is your moment, this is your time to come to a place of peace. I'm reminded of a story where Jesus was crossing the Galilee, Sea of Galilee and a violent, deadly storm arose. The disciples were bailing water out of their small boat. They were losing ground and about to go down. They awakened Jesus. He stood to the bow of the boat, spoke gentle words that had the power of the universe behind them. He said, peace, be still. And the disciples, to their amazement, saw the wind cease, the waves lay down, and a calm replaced the storm. The peace speaker is here today. And he knows how to speak peace to your troubled heart and cause the storm around you to be calm. This is the goodness of our God. This is the goodness of our God. If you're watching me today with the live stream, thank you again, but don't miss the opportunity to receive the ministry of the Holy Spirit where you are. You're a part of what's happening here even though you're not here because the Holy Spirit is not restricted by geography and distance. So he's talking to you right there at home. So I want to encourage you to respond. Let the Spirit minister to you right where you are. Church is in home, in your home this morning. I'm going to ask our prayer partners to find their places of ministry while everybody's still got their head bowed. They're still just taking, optimizing this moment. If you're here today and you want to give your life to Christ, any of these wonderful... Together today. Who breaks the power of sin? 